seemingly everyone, we are glad that you are here. Um, we are glad that you are with us. You are welcome uh, in this place. So if you are a guest or a visitor, welcome. Well, this morning we are going to be looking at James chapter 1. Uh, James chapter 1. So we're continuing in our series on the book of James. Uh, we started it last week by looking at the first uh, four verses, and we'll pick up where we left off last week. We'll be going through the book of James uh, for the entire fall leading up to Advent, so that season right around Christmas. Um, but we'll be looking at, at various passages in James, or going book, excuse me, chapter by chapter, verse by verse through the book of James. So if you have a Bible, please turn there. There's also a Bible in the chair in front of you. You can find the passage on page 1011. Um, you know, a few years ago, I was talking with a friend of mine. This was when I had just started doing campus ministry. Um, and we were talking about a person involved in our ministry as student. And I was telling my friend, who was a little bit older than me, had been involved for uh, years longer than I had. And I was telling them about this student, and I was talking about how this student was so smart. They were so intelligent. We were on these uh, private school campuses where they were very small, very elite students. And, and, um, and I was talking about this particular student and, and how it could almost be intimidating sometimes to interact with them because they were that smart. Like, you know, you know those people, right? Um, uh, I'm not one of those people, but <laughs> you know those people, right? They're, they're really smart, and it can be, it's like, uh, I don't want to say anything foolish or silly. Or, but anyway, so I'm talking to my friend, and, and he said, well, well, that's all well and good. I'm glad that they're very smart, but, but are they wise? That was a really interesting question that he asked me. Um, it, it actually made me start to think about this person, and, and I didn't know the answer to that question, are they wise, but my friend was making a distinction there between intelligence and knowledge and wisdom. And what he was actually trying to encourage was an, an elevation, an appreciation of wisdom, even over and against knowledge. And that's what James is helping us to consider this morning. James, in James chapter 1, in the few passages we're going to look at, is going to help us to see what wisdom is and where it comes from and why we should seek it out. So let's go ahead and read James 1, beginning in verse 5. If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God, who gives generously to all without reproach, and it will be given him. But let him ask in faith with no doubting, for the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea that is driven and tossed by the wind. For that person must not suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord. He is a double-minded man, unstable in all his ways. Let the lowly brother boast in his exaltation and the rich in his humiliation, because like a flower of the grass, he will pass away. For the sun rises with its scorching heat and withers the grass. Its flower falls and its beauty perishes. So also will the rich man fade away in the midst of his pursuits. Friends, this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let me pray for us. Our Father, we do thank you for this portion of your word, and we acknowledge our need for your wisdom. And so we ask that you would give it this morning, and that you would, through your word and your spirit, that you would minister to us so that my words would honor you and the meditations of our hearts would please you. So we pray, Lord Jesus, lead us in the truth, lead us in your wisdom so we would live as your people. And we pray in Jesus' name, amen. Well, if, um, 
if you have spent any time talking with me at some point, um, you've probably heard me reference the, the author Wendell Berry. Wendell Berry is this uh, wonderful author from Kentucky. Um, he is an essayist, a novelist, a poet, and all of his works are worth reading and considering. Um, his essays are brilliant. He writes about agriculture and uh, uh, economics. He writes about sexuality, and he writes about humanity in general. His essays are great, but it's not his essays that grip my heart. His poetry is beautiful. His Sabbath poems are, are wonderful. They're, they are definitely worth taking up on a Sabbath afternoon and considering. But it's not his poetry that, that grips my heart either. It's actually his fiction, his novels. I love Wendell Berry's fiction. In fact, if you come into my family room, you'll see prominently on our bookshelf above our TV all of his fiction laid out right there, and you can take some. In fact, I would encourage you, come to my house and take some because it is that good. It is wonderful. I love his fiction because he writes about this little town in Kentucky called Port William. It's a fictitious town. It's on the river right there, and it's about a people that love one another and care for one another, and they live amongst one another, and they live in that land, on that land, and they care for that land. It's the Port William membership. That's what they call themselves. And in one of these novels that Barry writes, uh, A Place on Earth, that's what the novel is called, he has this incredibly moving section about a young pastor who has gone to visit the Feltner family. Now, the Feltners are experiencing a great deal of grief. A shadow of mourning is over their house because their son, Virgil, has gone off to Vietnam and has died in battle. And so now this family has a son that is lost. His young bride, Hannah, she is now a widow. And so this young pastor comes and sits with this family. And, and we don't get the full conversation that takes place in the household. We don't get the back and forth, but, but we get the sense in reading it that, that things aren't going as the pastor had planned or intended. And that's confirmed a few pages later when he is sitting in his church. Now by himself, he has left the Feltner home, and he's sitting in a pew, and he's thinking and, and reflecting upon the conversation he just had. And this is what he thinks. Barry writes, he came away from the Feltner house grieved by the imperfection of his visit. It was not as he had hoped it would be a conversation, it was a sermon. This is the history of his life in Port William. The word, capital W, so speaking about the word of God, the word in his speaking it fails to be made flesh. You see, in that moment, this man, this young pastor, desired to speak words of wisdom to this family. He desired to have just the right word to be present with them in their grief and to embody the word of God in their very presence. But he had fallen short. Now, as a pastor, I resonate with this, but you don't have to be a pastor to resonate with this because you know exactly what he's experiencing. Because you don't have to be a pastor to have sat with a family member or a friend or someone looking for advice. And, and what they are needing is a bit of wisdom. And, and you want that perfect word, right? You want to have that, that beautiful, pithy statement that will just bring comfort to their soul and peace to their mind. Right? I mean, every one of us has experienced that. We want to have just that beautiful word that they walk away and everything is beautiful. And everything makes sense. 
But instead of having that word of wisdom, oftentimes, more often than not, we fumble. Right? We fumble and we say the wrong thing and we speak when we should have been silent and we're silent when we should have spoken up. And we walk away from those interactions feeling the imperfection of our time and our own lack of wisdom. I mean, you felt that. I felt it. James's audience, his original readers, would have felt that as well. Their circumstances and situation is very different from ours. Their conversations would have looked different than ours. But they still experience that need for wisdom. I mean, James says in verse, four, in verse 5, if any of you lacks wisdom. Now, now let's just, bef- before we go on, let's just say that any of you is you. <laughs> and it's me. <laughs> Right? So before we start thinking, yeah, man, don't you need this, (laughs) right? Or man, that person in front of me, they need to hear this bit of wisdom, right? Like, I need wisdom, and you need wisdom. That the any of us is us. And what we are in need of is not not just knowledge, but wisdom. You see, there is a distinction between knowledge and information and data and wisdom, Right? We live at a time where we have more information at our fingertips than in any other time in the history of the world. And we can access it so quickly and so with such availability that that we think that that's all we need, right? Is just more data, more information, another YouTube how-to video. But what we really need is wisdom. You see, that's what we need. You see, we shouldn't settle for simply more information or more data. There's nothing wrong with those things. Information is good. But we need something more. We need wisdom. And wisdom, if you remember from a few weeks ago when we were in the Psalms, I said that wisdom is the skill and the art of biblical living. That to be wise is to live as God intended us to live. To speak as God desires us to speak. Wisdom is living biblical. And that's what we need. We need wisdom, and a particular kind of wisdom. A wisdom that reflects God's wisdom, and a wisdom not of this world, but a wisdom that comes from heaven. That's what James says in verse 5. If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God. So James is directing us to the source of wisdom. It is God himself. Now, I want you to think about this in relation to what we talked about last week. So last week, we talked about trials, right? And, and how we are supposed to live in the midst of them and our perspective, how it's to be oriented when we are finding ourselves confronted with trials. And right after, Paul, right after James talks about trials, what does he do? Right on the heels, he says, if any of you needs wisdom. That's interesting, isn't it? It's interesting because when I think about trials and the trials that I'm experiencing, I start thinking about my thought process. You know, what are the first things that go through my head? Well, it's stuff like, man, I need to do whatever I can to be done with this trial. And, and I need to figure out what is the next step I need to take so that this trial will end. And I need to be done with it as soon as possible. And I need to come up with a plan and ingenuity. And I need to figure out a way so that it is over. That's what goes through my head. I, I start talking to myself this way, right? I do all this self-talk. But, but did you notice what this self-talk is? Who it's about? It's about me. What do I need to do? And where must I go? And, and it's me, 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 and I, I, I. And, and listen, listen, don't hear what I'm not saying. We have agency. We have responsibility we're supposed to do. But, but where does James direct us? 
in the midst of trial, seek wisdom. Look to God. Right? That 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 is where we need to go first. That in the midst of trial, and we're not sure the next step, and we're not sure what to do, and we're not sure what we're to think, we ask God for help. And it's not just for our trials, but others' trials. Right? That, That that's where we need wisdom in talking to others about what they're dealing with, about their lives. And so maybe, maybe the next time we're interacting with someone and we're talking with them and they're, they're trying to figure out what's next and, and where I'm supposed to go and they're dealing with this difficult situation, maybe in the midst of it, we need to just stop. I don't think I've ever done this. But maybe I need to. Maybe I need to just stop and say to the person across from the table from me, you know what? Let's just pray. Before we move on, before we get deeper into this conversation, before we start trying to figure out and, you know, kind of manipulate this, before we do any of that, let's just stop and ask God for wisdom. Maybe that's, maybe that's how we practically apply this. Maybe before we get out of the car to meet with that person for lunch or walk into their home, we just pray, God, give me wisdom. Give me understanding. Help me to know when to speak and what to say. Help me to know when not to speak and just to be present. We need wisdom. We need to ask God to give us direction. And we should ask him because James tells us that God gives generously to all without reproach. That's what he said, right? If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God, who gives generously to all without reproach. So God gives generously. So why don't we ask him? Well, I think the reason we don't ask him is for the same reason why we don't ask each other. The truth is, is we don't like being needy, right? I mean, we don't like being needy. We, we, we don't like asking people for help. And we take that and we apply it to God. So a few years ago, before we moved to Saint, or before we moved to Roanoke, when we were living in St. Louis, we bought our kids a trampoline. Some of y'all have seen this trampoline because you helped me walk it down the street when we moved. Uh, seriously, we walked it down the street. But um, uh, it's it's this massive 15-foot trampoline. And on a Saturday afternoon, I decided I was going to put it together. We had done some mini golf that morning, and we came back, and it was time to put it together so the kids could jump and play. And so I I take out the box, and I lay out all the parts, and I start reading the instructions. And on the front page, on the very first page of the instructions, it says, assembly requires two adults. And then right below it, it said in big, bold, all-cap letters, do not attempt alone. (laughs) And so I read that, and I thought, two adults, maybe for lesser men. (laughs) Don't worry, cat. You stay inside. I'll take care of this. No problem. And so I started working on it. I didn't call anyone, right? Because that's the kind of person I am. So, um, so I, did, I started putting it together, and I started, you know, putting the legs together, and everything's going great, and the frame, and all this sort of thing. And, and I didn't need any help. I'm able to put it together until I get to the safety net. You know, the safety net is pretty important, especially when you're on a hill, like at my house, like, so the kids don't fall off and go rolling down the hill, Right? So I get to the safety net, and I'm starting to, you know, uh, snake the metal rod into the netting, and, and I'm pushing it through, and it's getting really hard and complicated. But, but I can do it. I mean, come on. 
I'm smart. I'm, you know, you know, semi-young still. I can push it through, and so I'm trying to feed it through, and I'm trying to make it happen. And, and if you would have driven by my yard and looked in my uh, backyard, you would have seen me standing there with, like, one arm pushing and a leg, and I'm trying to hold it, I'm trying to get it together, and it would not happen. I could not do it. I needed help. And in that moment, I had to die to my desire to be, uh, to be my own person, to, to not need anyone else. I had to d- die to my own desire of self-sufficiency, and I needed to be okay with being needy. And I'm pretty sure I'm not the only one who struggles with this. Because most of us don't mind being needed and being asked for help, but we don't like asking for help or being needy. And I think sometimes we take this attitude towards one another, which is problematic in and of itself, but then we apply it to God. And we think, I shouldn't need to ask him for help. And I shouldn't need any more wisdom. And I don't want to have to keep coming back to him again and again because maybe God is just standing there with arms crossed and he's going, again, really, Penny? Haven't you learned yet? I think we sometimes have that attitude with God. And we have that perspective. But that's not what James tells us, is it? He says, if any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God who gives generously without reproach and it will be given to him. James is telling us God isn't miserly. He's not standing there with arms crossed, shaking his head. He is longing and desiring for his people to come and ask. And when they come and ask, he showers his people with gifts of wisdom. I mean, that's what Jesus said in Matthew chapter 7. He said, ask, and it will be given to you. And then he goes on and says, which one of you, if his son asks for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for fish, will give him a serpent? If you, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father, who is in heaven, give good gifts to those who ask him? Do you hear what Jesus is saying? He's saying it is in God's very character to dole out wisdom to his people. That's why we should ask, because God gives generously. And when we ask, we should ask with faith and not doubt that he would give. It's where James takes us in verses 6 and 7, or 6 through 8. He says, let him ask in faith with no doubting, for the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea that is driven and tossed by the wind. For that person must not suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord. He is a double-minded man, unstable in all his ways. So James is talking about strong doubting here. He's talking about a doubt that brings uh, an inconstant attitude towards the Lord, right? It's not the person who says, I believe, but Lord, help my unbelief. It's not the person who says, I don't really understand what you're doing, but I trust you, right? Like that's the That's the language we'll get sometimes in the Psalms, right? The psalmist, I I don't really understand. I'm not sure what you're doing, but I trust you. I depend on, that's not what James is talking about here. Instead, he's talking about the person who, who vacillates between believing in God and depending upon God's goodness, disbelieving that God is good. He's like a wave amongst the sea. 
Not, not that big wave, you know, the big tidal wave that, that rises up and comes crashing on us, but, but the subtle changing of the water, right? Think about the, the swelling of the sea, right? How the texture of the water is constantly changing. Like, do you ever think about that? Like, the water is never the same. Moment by moment, it is constantly changing. It never remains, right? Like the, the wind blows to the east and it starts to move and it blows to the west and it moves back so, so that it is never the same. It's always changing. And James is saying that the one who doubts, who asks and doubts is like that person. It's the person who asks, but in their asking is just really asking to hedge their bets. You know, like, uh well, I'd better ask God because what could it hurt, right? That's not the kind of asking that James has in mind. That's not asking with faith. What James is saying is that we should ask for wisdom with confidence because God is generous. We should not doubt that God would give us what we need in that moment, that we would, he would give us wisdom. We should not doubt that because God has been generous to us. And we've seen his generosity on display, right? In Romans chapter 8, the apostle Paul says that he who did not spare his own son but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him get graciously give us all things? You see, if God would graciously give us his son to take our sin upon himself, to die on the cross, to rise in our place, if God would do that, would he then withhold his wisdom, his his grace and his generosity from us? No, we can have faith in our time of need that God will be generous to give us wisdom. This wisdom that comes from heaven, but, but this wisdom that comes from heaven, it's, it's going to be a wisdom that reflects the priorities of heaven. See, that's where our passage moves us at the very end in verses 9 through 11. James writes, Let the lowly brother boast in his exaltation, and the rich in his humiliation, because like a flower of the grass, he will pass away. For the sun rises with its scorching heat and withers the grass. Its flowers falls and its beauty perishes. So also will the rich man fade away in the midst of his pursuits. That just sounds strange, doesn't it? I mean, James is giving us a new paradigm for looking at the world. I mean, the lowly brother boasting in his exaltation and the rich brother boasting in his humiliation, I mean, that just is, that's not how our world operates, is it? He's giving us a new paradigm for how we are to view the world, a, a, a way of looking at the world that reflects the priorities of heaven. The lowly, this word lowly, it can mean poor or humble. In the eyes of the world, the lowly brother or sister, they're, they're of little consequence, Right? And, and they have very little to boast of, if anything to boast of. And so in our world, they're not exalted. But in the economy of heaven, when we see with heavenly wisdom, we see that the lowly are lifted up. I mean, think about Luke chapter 1 with Mary's song. You remember the angel comes to Mary and says, you will, uh, you will give birth to a son. His name will be Jesus, and he will be the son of the Most High. And then Mary goes and she sees her cousin Elizabeth, and Elizabeth is pregnant as well with, the, with John the Baptist. And after hearing the angel and then seeing Elizabeth, Mary sings. She erupts into song, her Magnificat, that's what we call it. And these are some of the words that she sings. My soul magnifies the Lord, 
for he has looked on the humble estate of his servant. He has brought down the mighty from their thrones and exalted those of humble estate. God raises the humble, the poor and the lowly. They don't boast of their lowliness. They boast of God's lifting them up. Y'all, the only way that we see that is if we have the eyes of wisdom. If we have wisdom that, that prioritizes the things of heaven. It's a new paradigm for viewing humanity, for viewing the world, for viewing one another. But, but the new paradigm doesn't end there. I mean, James says about the rich that they would boast in their humiliation. Now, that word boast is interesting. It's, it's getting at where we put our confidence. You see, when we think of boasting, we think of simply what comes out of our mouths, right? We've, we boast about our job. We boast about our kids' performance. We, we boast about uh, our 401ks and all these, sort, right? We boast, and we do that with our mouths, right? But James is getting at something even deeper than that. Because it's not just the, the speaking of our words, but it's the boasting of our hearts, See, this word for boast, it's expressing an unusually high degree of confidence in someone or something. And so what James is telling us is that we are not to put our confidence in wealth or in our pursuits or in our knowledge, but our confidence is to lie with the Lord. That wisdom reflect, that reflects heaven doesn't boast in the things that will fade. It's what Jeremiah 9 tells us. God speaks through the prophet and says this, Thus says the Lord, let not the wise man boast in his wisdom. Let not the mighty man boast in his might. Let not the rich man boast in his riches. But let him who boasts boast in this, that he understands and knows me, that I am the Lord who practices steadfast love, justice, and righteousness in the earth. For in these things I delight, declares the Lord. We do not boast in anything but the Lord. Right In the Apostle Paul in Philippians chapter 3, when speaking of his confidence, he says this, I, have, I myself have reason for confidence in the flesh. If anyone else thinks he has reason for confidence in the flesh, I have more. And then do you remember what he does after he says that? He gives his resume, his CV for all the reasons why he could boast. Hebrew of Hebrews, right? Circumcised at the right time, born of the right tribe, right? He goes through all these things, a Pharisee amongst Pharisees. He goes through all the things that should make him boast, all the things that the world would elevate and lift up. And what does he say? Whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ. You see, Paul is just embodying what James is calling us to. That we would have a wisdom that looks beyond the world's evaluation of what is significant and adopt a wisdom that reflects the priorities of heaven where everything would be counted as loss in comparison to the beauty of Jesus. That we don't put our confidence in our wealth. And we don't put our confidence in our intellect. And we don't put our confidence, in, right, like this is what we do. Right? Like I'm confident that I'll be okay when I'm 70 and 80 and 90 because I have a retirement account. There's nothing wrong with retirement. I'm confident my children are going to be okay because they went to the right school or I got them into the right college. 
There's nothing wrong with that. Right? We, we put our confidence all the time in things outside of ourselves or in ourselves instead of the Lord. But, but what James is saying is that our confidence, our boasting, isn't in where our kids would go to school or how big our retirement account is or what position we have in our company. But our boasting, our confidence is in the Lord. And I have to tell you all, we, we're not going to do this on our own. Right? Like, this is a wisdom that doesn't come from ourselves. No matter how much I try, right? Because even when I try to do this on my own, it's just like false humil- humility, right? I'm just saying it so other people go, man, Penny doesn't, isn't confident in anything, right? No, this doesn't come from ourselves. It's a wisdom that we cannot create just by thinking harder or by stirring it up in our souls, it's a wisdom that comes only from God. And so, friends, we need to ask him. We need to ask, God, give us wisdom. God, help us to be confident, not in our poverty or our wealth or our intellect or our pursuits, but but help us to be confident in you. God, give us wisdom for whatever is before us. Give us wisdom to see the world as you see it. Give us wisdom so that we would prioritize the things of heaven. We should ask him, and we must ask him, because our God gives generously. And so let's do that now. Let's pray. Our Father, we are in need of your wisdom and your guidance. We're in need of your goodness and your help. And so we ask that you would give it, that by your spirit you would lead us into your truth, and by your word you would show us what is right and beautiful, good and true so that we would see not just our own lives, but we would see this world as it truly is. Father, put, on, put glasses of wisdom on our eyes so we can see clearly how we are to live as your people in your world. And we pray all this in Jesus' name and God's people said, Amen.